listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back. You are, of course, listening to I Might Be Wrong. I've got Henry with me. How are you doing? Hello, Rich. Yeah, great, thanks. I've got some cider with me, so that makes life better. <laughs> wow, you were doing Dry January the last time we spoke, so that's that's now out the window, even though we're not quite at the end of January. Yeah, binned it. Not interested anymore. I decided it wasn't making me feel any better and there's a lockdown. <laughs> so bring back the alcohol and it's uh, solved everything. So brilliant. Yeah, not doing that again. <laughs> so how are you doing? Alcohol, the solution to and cause of all of life's problems, according to Homer J. Simpson. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> my permanent accessory is what the bare naked lady said about it. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm good, mate. I am excited to chat about something that's not guitar bands because we've been talking about guitar bands quite a lot over over the course of January we're getting into some electronica and for once it's not me bringing electronica it's you well yeah I'm going for one of the most well, well-known DJs of the late 90s and early 2000s um, Fatboy Slim and I've bought the album You've Come a Long Way Baby. It would be a struggle to bring any others, I think. You can make arguments for better living through chemistry and uh, gutter to the stars, but I think this is his best from my perspective. Ah, well, those arguments would just be plain wrong, wouldn't they? Because this album is just... Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did see that water come out, you know, sorry. Um, but yes, this is this is the, the big album. And uh, yeah, that's what I've bought. It's probably worth giving a bit of background on Norman Cook, the man behind Fatboy Slim. The the name that many don't quite know as well. Well, yeah, just as a brief backstory, it's worth going into pre-Fatboy Slim because okay. Norman Cook actually found fame in the charts a few times before Fatboy Slim. So Norman Cook back in 1985 was the basis for the House Martins. Which, That's right, yes. So their song Happy Hour... You may know it. What a good place to be. Don't believe it. That one. <laughs> that was yep. in the charts. The lead singer from the House Martins, Paul Heaton, went on to form the Beautiful South, if you recognise the voice. Mm-hmm. So they already charted. And Norman Cook was saying that the band all kind of split up on the same day. They all wanted to do different things. It was totally amicable. He wanted to make records. He wanted to be a DJ. And he wanted to not just be the bassist in the background. So he had bigger fish to fry. Paul Heaton's gone off and done his thing as well, so off he went. But he didn't go straight to Fatboy Slim from the House Martins. He then formed Beats International. So right. Tank, Fly, Boss, Walk, Jam, Nitty Gritty, you're listening to the boy from the big bad city. That was <laughs> Norman Cook and Beats International. The problem with Beats International was that they ripped off the baseline from The Clash and lost a legal case. So all of the revenue that they got from that song went straight into the pockets of lawyers and The Clash and um, another band. So he moved on. He didn't become Fatboy Slim after that. He formed a band called Free Power. He he also didn't give up on sampling everyone else's work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Although I, I think from that, his samples, he's been very, very clever with his sampling, mm-hmm. which we'll come on to. Turn on, tune in, cop out. That's another one of yeah. his. Um, featured on a Levi's advert. But then it wasn't quite his thing. So he went to do his Fatboy Slim work. So he was doing DJing all the way through in Brighton, obviously his hometown and where everyone knows him from. But yeah, in 96, that's when things really kicked off with his Fatboy Slim. Yeah, it's an interesting mix of 
I mean, it's all sort of got that dancey-ish thing or like club thing because even the house martins, you've got a little bit of that like guitar housey thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm saying the wrong words, but you know what I mean. Like the Manchester scene and all that kind of stuff was still in clubs. Well, he's born out of the fires of, of clubs and I think things really changed for him. He must have been accumulating tech and kit all of the time and he's got his drum machines he's got his samplers and he's got a computer and I think at that point in this you know in his bedroom or in his studio or whatever that's the point where Fatboy Slim kind of almost emerges in that he's he's able to create samples he's able to start putting tracks together and yeah and really do some of the slightly more bonkers stuff that you just couldn't do 20 30 years ago so it, it was really in the the mid to late nineties yeah. where suddenly this this new sound emerges. It's interesting listening to him in, in his interviews. He's digging around trying to find find records, and he would just go into secondhand stores and he would he would look for music from certain eras. So he was looking for vinyl mm-hmm. between nineteen seventy and nineteen seventy five. That was his kind of the best year for that kind of music. He called it crate digging. So he would dig around and um, and he would maintain a list of all the breakbeats from all of the vinyl that he had in his little notebook. Obviously, you need two copies of every of every record to maintain the break. So when you're doing a DJing, he would always have to find these double copies of the vinyls. And um, he was looking for that kind of style. And there's a good quote which said, he would always knew he'd found gold if he pulled out some vinyl. And on the cover, there was, was a multiracial band. They all had long hair and it looks like they took drugs if you had those, you're going to get some cracking sounds out of it. Nice. So yeah, that was where he where he started, and um, I think the first real track that kicked him to fame was was Rockefeller Skank. Yeah, you say that, but there's an album before that album, and Better Living Through Chemistry has a couple of great tracks on it. It does, and I think in the DJing world mm-hmm. uh, and the dance world. He was already becoming a pretty big figure then. Yeah. Definitely for me. He didn't come into the mainstream at that point. I'm, I was an indie kid, so I wouldn't have bumped into it. I, did you hear the the Better Living Through Chemistry album before? Little bits and pieces of it. So uh, one of my mates, I think one of my mates at school, or possibly my brother or one of my brother's mates, had a copy of Better Living Through Chemistry. So I'd heard bits of it. And in particular, The Weekend Starts Here and Going Out of My Head were tracks that I I knew. I didn't know them well. It wasn't like I was a massive fan at that point. And the thing that got my attention for Fatboy Slim was his remix of Brimful of Asher. Was that before? When did that come out? It was early 98. Okay. That's a little bit before You've Come a Long Way Baby appears. Uh, and that was... That was a weird one for me because I I never really paid any attention to who did remixes. I never really paid any attention to any of that stuff. But that was a track that the lead single for Brimful of Asher, the thing that was played on the radio was the Fatboy Slim remix. And it was always the Fatboy Slim remix. And I made the mistake of, I think, downloading the original album track and just being like what the hell is this it was corner shop because he'd work yeah corner shop he'd worked his magic on it and it it was just this brilliant wonderful upbeat bouncy track and the original was a bit of a dirge i felt the same thing i don't know whether that's just because i'd heard the the remix 
but it's just Almost slowed certainly. down and <laughs> and it is slow. I think my brother did exactly the same thing as you and bought the slower version and it was just, you just think, well, hang on, this is just not as fun. <laughs> and so I sort of was aware of him at that point. But yes, you're right. When Rockefeller Skank hit, that was the moment when he sort of exploded. Yeah, he said that he was playing all sorts of stuff in his DJ sets and he put on a record from the Just Brothers. It's called Sliced Tomatoes. And that's the that's the riff. That's kind of Northern Soul. And he, he was just playing that straight. Wasn't doing anything to it. And he was saying that everyone was dancing. And he was like, hang on a second. There's, yeah. there's something to this. So he put that down. And then he got the, the vocals, the right about now mm-hmm. from the Lord Finesse. He, he took the lyrics from that. He took the vocals. Um, apparently it was almost spoken word. And he split up the vocals by syllable so he could play on his keyboard right about now and yeah he could just do whatever he wanted with it and that's how he created the the, the, those sounds i'm fascinated by you talking about the specific era that he was pulling music from as well because there's very definitely this disco guitar thing that drives a lot of the music on this album and i presume that's that's where that comes from it is cool isn't it the he was actually saying the the guitar the kind of it's almost like surf rock he was on a uh, beach yeah. in bali i think and he said it was the that down yeah, yeah he was like i want that i want that along with all of this i guess almost the this the 70s tracks yeah but he was loving it because he said that it's an interesting quote where he said you couldn't make music like that as a, as a a white guy until you had all the computers and and the kit. So he was saying that it was at that point when you had the computers, the samplers, the drum machine that he said that's when white people could make black music in in quotes without mm-hmm. pretending to be Booty Collins on the bass. You could actually you could actually put that that down as a person on your own. Yeah, and it's an interesting one from that perspective purely because he's not trying to create in quotes black music here what he's doing is he's taking samples from those records and creating something that's a brand new style of sound like big beat was emerging at this point and he was one of the key drivers of that sound but is a very brighton london club scene based sound that was that was kind of coming out of all of this yeah prodigy are the same right they're in the same era of geeky white guys in their bedroom with samples yeah. messing around and making these incredible dance tracks. But if you hear the all the samples, the vocals, they're all these kind of American artists, these mm-hmm. these big voices, and this is the time where you can you can use that and you can copy those those influences and make that kind of music. So yeah, he picked a, an interesting time to to kind of get his inspiration from. Mm-hmm. So the Rockefeller skank hit and it was an instant hit everywhere to the point where he went to the States and apparently he turned up in his his hotel room and and Spike Jones, a mm. massive, massive movie guy, he had heard the song and had made him a video really? from the Rockefeller skank. So he, he had gone to him. They'd never met before. And Spike Jones was like, I like it so much. So, what, so Spike Jones had videoed a guy dancing on the street. Now... Norman Cook wanted to use it, but he had already started producing a big budget video for it. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't use it for Rockefeller Skank. But obviously it's Spike Jones, so you want to work with the yeah. guy, right? He's a legend. <laughs> so 
he asked if he could do another video for Praise You. Right. And if you've seen the Praise You video, yeah. that's Spike Jones, And that's where you get all those dancing people and the weird dancey guy. Well, the weird dancey guy is Spike himself. Is it? No, so R- Richard Koofy is the weird dancey guy. Yes. Spike Jones starred in the film under the pseudonym Richard Koofy. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's, shit. it's absolutely Spike Jones in that video. Fuck. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I actually didn't have that in my notes. That was something that I stuck in the back of my head from years ago because I used to have like a minor obsession with Fatboy Slim, Spike Jones videos because there's a number of them and they're all absolutely mad but brilliant. So... I'm going to skip ahead slightly here. Weapon of Choice. You must have seen the video for Weapon of Choice. This is with Christopher Walken, right? This is the one with Christopher Walken. So if you don't know what we're talking about, I want you to pause this episode right (laughs) now and go onto YouTube and type in Weapon of Choice, Christopher Walken, and go and watch that video and then come back and listen to the rest of this discussion. Yeah, Christopher Walken is one of the coolest guys. And I had a bit of a... It was kind of a weird hero worshipping a Christopher Walken because I first came across him in the Bond films when he was, was it Zorin or something? Yeah. Well, he was always a bad guy in films. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got this kind of, this anti-hero in my head of Christopher Walken who dances and it's just fantastic. What a video. So because I I wanted to do a little bit of research and find out what he had to say about this, he, he said in an interview that he he apparently danced from the time he was a little kid when he was a chorus boy all the way up to when he was 30-something, and he would get little dance moves in every film that he was in. He would do something, and most of the time they'd keep it in, just as like a little ad-lib dance thing. But he said about Weapon of Choice, it's a very catchy tune. The big thing for me was to work with Spike Jones. He's terrific and young. He asked me to do that based on my work from a movie 20 years ago, Pennies from Heaven. Spike Jones knows his stuff. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So does Christopher Walken. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd only ever seen him as like the bad guy in films. And then all of a sudden he's like, and the dance routine is brilliantly bonkers as well. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Back to the back to the album. Yes. Because there are just so many tracks on this. Um, I mean, you've got to mention Gangster Trippin' mm-hmm. as one of the standout tracks. I don't have too much to say about it other than it's just an absolute gem. Yeah. And, and all of these tracks were recorded in the same way. He's he's just got his samples right. And you can keep going through the album, build it up, tearing, tear it down. It's a fantastic song. Obviously, Praise You is right at the end of the album. A, a favourite of mine. But this whole album, just it just works. Love Island is a really great track. Love Island to me is one of the kind of unsung heroes from this album because it's it feels like the kind of track that if it came on in the middle of a night out and you're on the dance floor, you just absolutely would go for it. I, I don't think that got released because it's a great song, but I don't think it was mm-hmm. one of the big singles. But yeah, no, you're right. I don't think so either. You have missed one, which is right here, right now, which is probably the track that hooked me into Fatboy Slim in the first place. It's got that energy to it, hasn't it? Yeah. It really does draw you into the album. It's the opening track, isn't it? Yep. 
And it's got that big swirling strings with this big atmospheric, almost movie soundtrack. You could imagine it being like the opening thing to a big movie. And then you just get this huge big beat drop, which sets the tone for the entire album. And it turns out that that right here, right now is actually dialogue from a film. It's Angela Bassett in Strange Days. Wow. And and this is the the cool thing about his work. He is just just getting inspiration from everywhere and yeah yeah so one of my favorite websites particularly for research for this podcast is called whosampled.com and if you go and look at fat boy slim's entry in there it goes on forever (laughs) and it also gives you who sampled those tracks as well so one thing i'd forgotten about is a couple of years after this came out there was a track called in and out of my life by one fat diva which is also a brilliant tune, which combines a diva's In and Out of My Life from the 80s and Right Here and Right Now, and it's brilliant. Don't know it. I'll check it out. Oh, mate, you'll recognise it when you hear it. Awesome. So, yeah, that's that's the album. And then from there, he's an international star. I mean, the, the next album, Halfway yep. Between the Gusher and the Stars, is one that I think my brother bought. So I probably listened to loads of those tracks. It's great. It's not as good. It's a really very good album. I don't think it's it doesn't hit the heights. There's some great tracks. I love Star 69 and Sunset Bird of Prey. Yeah, and it's got Weapon of Choice on, which makes it yeah awesome. <laughs> That's the best track on that album. I don't feel like it hits the highs quite as well as You've Come a Long Way Baby. You've Come a Long Way Baby could easily be a soundtrack for an entire night out. It's just a big fun party in a warehouse in an album. Yeah. And talking of parties, we should probably mention some of some of the live stuff that's happened with with Fatboy Slim because <laughs> the obvious one is the Brighton chaos. Was that the beach thing? Yeah. So what people might not know was that the year before this event, so this was in 2002, previous year in 2001, he did a barely advertised party on the beach. About 60,000 people turned up, went down really well. It was free. It was... Norman Cook doing his thing in 2002 he thought he'd do it again now there was a, they slightly miscalculated because they had a perfect kind of storm of a heat wave in the summer and Brighton Beach gets packed anyway yep. and they decided to advertise it and so the radio stations were talking about it there was bus advertising and again you could just turn up about a quarter of a million <laughs> people went to Brighton to go and see this gig and it was apparently brilliant. I've got a few mates who went, but it was on the verge of chaos and things getting really, really out of hand. Well, the people got crushed yeah. in some of the crowds there. I mean, it was it, they just hadn't expected the level of people descending that, that happened. And I've, I've heard the same. I didn't go, but I've heard similar from people who have said it was an immense set, an immense night. And you can see the photos. I think, I think there are photos online that, aerial shots looking down onto the beach and you can't see the sand it's just people and they're way out into the sea as well unbelievable isn't it have you have you seen Fatboy Slim live yes and you know that (laughs) I'm I'm leading you on carry on explain so I think that might be the only time that I've seen him live so you and I obviously went to Glastonbury we've talked about this a few times on the podcast before And we went to see Grandaddy, and then we followed up Grandaddy by going and seeing uh, Feeder. 
and to get between the two we had to walk round from the other stage to the main stage which back then was a fairly easy thing to do in the middle of the well late afternoon when I went 2010 it was a lot harder to get between main and other stage but as we were walking around there's this little triangular radio one pyramid stage which is like a mini mini version of the main pyramid stage and we're walking up to it and there's some really cool dancey tunes coming out of the pyramid stage we're like oh sounds good there was no there was no one there pretty much it no was one always- really there it was like you and me and a few other people and we wander up and we're like stood maybe 10 meters from the stage and we're like that guy looks really familiar <laughs> like, and like i can't remember i can't remember which of us figured it out but we were like holy shit it's fat it's fat boy slim it's norman cook and he was just spinning his sort of more He's doing a dj set yeah classic dj set very upbeat middle of the afternoon lots of big upbeat dancey tunes and it was it was absolutely wonderful so we stood and had a bit of a dance and enjoyed ourselves and as we were like well we've got to get on because we want to go and see want to go and see the band on the main stage we turned around as like a massive sea of people it, it went from zero to 100 in about 15 minutes and you could hear people just see people just appearing and that yeah. happens at glastonbury when someone like that does a an off-the-cuff performance people will flock to it because you know people are texting and calling their mates and telling them you've got to get down here for this yeah exactly so that that was that was fantastic it was fun i wish we'd stayed longer but i also really enjoyed watching feeder yeah, same. I guess he would have carried on with the DJ set rather than doing any kind of Fat Boy Slim stuff. I, unless he, may I don't know, I don't know what he played. Well, he. I remember hearing he he did a dance tent set later that night, and a lot of people complained about it because he did a very hard house set. He didn't do his tunes, and it wasn't the easiest of listening if you're just like someone who likes a bit of dance music. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't see that version. I'm glad we saw the random middle of the afternoon. Oh, look, it's Norman Kirk. It was quality. It was good fun. Have you seen him ever since? No, I haven't. That that was it. That's the that's the one time as well for me. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, a bit of a shame really because he's a bit of a bit of a legend. Yeah, I only have one other anecdote, and it's so tenuous. But given that we're on a podcast and I can put this anecdote out to the world, <laughs> I feel like I have to because. I've been bearing this weight on my shoulders for many years and I've never told anyone this story. This is the first time I've ever told this story, but I have to tell it. So Norman Cook, this is so tenuous, it's not really a fat boy slim anecdote. Norman Cook (laughs) married Zoe Ball. Zoe Ball is a celebrity in the Mm -hmm. UK. She was a TV presenter, famous dad, Johnny Ball, I think, on TV. Anyway, TV family. So I was backpacking in Fiji and I was on a boat on the front of this boat and there was another guy sat next to me, no one else there. And we were, were shooting the breeze. And I said, you know, how's your holiday? How's the trip? And he said, well, you know what, to be honest, I'm trying to escape all of the UK and I, I want to get away. Turns out he was Zoe Ball's brother called Dan. And Dan Ball had probably had a bit of a tough time because everyone in his family was famous. His famous dad, famous sister. He's not famous. And he kind of confided in me on this hour-long boat trip out to this island. He was like, you know, I just, I love it. I'm having a wonderful time being on my own and just being me. And I'm not Zoe Ball's sister or whatever. And I was like, oh, cool. No, brilliant. And he was like, just don't tell anyone who I am. I'm just loving this at the moment. So anyway, idiot me decides (laughs) at dinner that night 
to explain to everyone how this guy's damn ball. And as soon as I said it, I saw him just look at me as like, you fucking idiot. And <laughs> you betrayed. And, and this guy's now stuck on this island with all these people who now start talking to him about his life back home. And I basically ruined this guy's trip. So if the universe is kind, if there's any way of getting this message to Dan Ball and finally apologising for making his little trip out in Fiji that little bit worse, I was the idiot on the boat next to you and I apologise. That's my Dan Ball story. Unbelievable. Not quite Fat Boy Slim, but there we go. You were like 18, 19 at the time, so young and stupid. Yeah, it's not, this is not like stupid. something that happened two years ago. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so back to Fat Boy Slim. Yes. Yeah, um, but I don't have any more anecdotes, so influences uh not really any influences i i didn't buy that album and then go digging for more of the same um yeah you didn't get into the big beat thing not really how about you uh yeah i mean he's part of for me my exploration of that big beat sound and all the big dancey electronica afterwards so he's definitely a large large influence for me in terms of not specifically him but that sound generally being the thing that got me into more of the kind of serious clubbing side of things. I did a lot in my very late teens, early to mid twenties. Yeah. So, so definitely a fairly big driver of a lot of, a lot of stuff that I listened to in the same boat of things like chemical brothers, prodigy underworld basement jacks. There's so much from that era that just, it, it puts a big smile on your face and it makes you happy and it makes you want to dance and I love that yeah you could take you could take this album and play it in a house party now and it would sound just as fresh everyone would like it it doesn't sound dated it's it's a modern classic so yeah I think partly just because it's it pulls in a lot of stuff from from earlier eras so it sort of loses its it's time because it's all it's all over the place. It's got a lot of a lot mm. of different things from a lot of different places. I mean, it, yeah. obviously, it has that big beat at its heart, but yeah, but all over the place. I love it. It's great. Yeah, good. So cool. That, that's my lot. Brilliant album. If, if um, he's still playing and he's still doing DJ sets, that that would definitely be one on the list to go and go and check out. I would love to go and see him do a big commercial DJ set. Not one of his proper dance sets, just something, just something that's a big load of fun, just a bit. Exactly. Yeah, like a Hyde Park in the middle of the summer thing or something like that. I'd be well up for that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So thanks for joining us again this week. If you want to, you can find us at I Might Be Wrong UK. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Come and come and have a chat. If you have been enjoying our podcast, we would love to get some ratings and reviews. You can rate us and review us on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, all over the place. So please, if you've been enjoying it, drop us a five star. If you haven't been enjoying it, then we're sorry. Please don't rate us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Good stuff. Thanks all. Cool. Cheers. See you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.